Here is a box, a musical box, wound up and ready to play. Can you guess what is in it today? to Box 39 with me, Bill Lawrence, and I'm coming live from the great and mighty Studio One on the fourth floor at Colm Radio Towers. And I'm joined this week by Adrian Cohen in the Musicology Laboratory down in Studio Four on the first floor and by my guest presenter this week, Joe Coldwell, a great friend of the show, a renowned figure in North East Essex, the manager of the award-winning... Uh, bookshop, independent bookshop with the Red Line Books, curator of Appetite, one of the biggest book clubs, and a yoga teacher, and a mum to two young adults. And this week's show, well, it's all about babies. A remarkable time in human life. David Attenborough once said to me, a baby is God's opinion that life should go on. We've all been a baby, and many of us have created and even looked after them. And they hold a unique and special place in our society with their massive dependency, huge brain development, as well as social and emotional and cognitive growth. Being a baby, well, it's a critical step towards becoming a happy, independent and a resilient adult. And to help us investigate this complex topic, Joe and I will be joined by our very special guest, Gail Berry who is an expert in the field of all things babies. She's the founder of Blossom and Berry, a parent and baby wellness business that encompasses a global collective of over 2,000 teachers. So, let's open Box 39 once more as we investigate the complex and the captivating world of babies. <laughs> When my daughter was a baby, I was a bad parent, but I got better as she grew older. I was tucking her in the other night and she looked really sad. I asked, what's the matter? Why are you so sad? She said, well, I was thinking, I'm 10 years old now and you're 62. When I'm 20, you're going to be 72. When I'm 30, you're going to be 82. 
and you're not going to be around for a lot of my life, are you, Daddy? My friend's parents are in their thirties. I said, that doesn't mean anything. There's no guarantee. Who says they're not going to die in a fiery car crash tomorrow, you know? Or murder-suicide? You don't know. And who says you're going to outlive me? I mean, who's to say a murdering clown isn't going to come into your bedroom tonight and smother you with a balloon animal? You just don't know. Anyway, I kissed her on the forehead and said, You get a good night's sleep. We'll talk in the morning. with a show all about babies with Bill Lawrence, Adrian Cohen and Joe Coldwell and special guest Gail Berry Yes, indeed Box 39 our magazine of music and a bit of community and some humour and some chat coming live as we've said before from the mighty Colm Radio Towers now we're talking about babies and the very young offspring and of course I'm here with Joe Coldwell today hello Joe hello Bill um, my radio best friend well, I, yeah. I love thank Queen you. thank you for playing that um, and we have got Gail here. Shall, shall I do a hello to Gail? Yes. Hello, Gail. Hello. Here in the studio, you are our expert on baby massage, baby yoga, and nurturing for babies. And you're also the world's leading mentor. Sorry, I sound like the guy from... Um, Who's the man who Dr. does... Evil. Um, Dr. Evil. sorry. <laughs> the world's leading mentor for baby and baby business. So I would also like to say that I met Gail when I asked you to give me a baby massage. No. A when you were pregnant, yeah. Well, it's a delight to have you in the studio, uh, uh, Gail, and hopefully you'll be able to answer all the questions that we've got and cover all the bits of, with your expertise... Absolutely. We're looking forward to it. So we're going to start off, we said, well, let's, let's get start off talking about before the birth, getting ready for the big event. It's pretty difficult to be a parent to be, isn't it, uh, Joe? Well, when you introduced me as having two grown-up children, it made me kind of go, oh, yes, I did that. I, I birthed them, and here <laughs> they are. Um, and there is always this thing about... Should you have lots of sleep before you have your baby? Can you catch up on sleep before? So let's ask our resident expert. Gail, can you catch up on sleep before you have a baby? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, I think I think this is one of the real things that I love to talk about with parenting because it's interesting what we put our focus on in pregnancy because we put a lot of focus on the birth um, but zero focus on the fact that you're then going to be in charge of another human being for the rest of your living days and this is something that you know I feel is where we're falling down because there's a lot of focus on what are you eating in pregnancy you know are you sleeping well um, regular checkups you know not folic acid yeah, not so many now, unfortunately, with cutbacks with the NHS and things. But still, during pregnancy, you do see a health professional fairly regularly. As soon as you have a baby, you're let loose. <laughs> and, you know, it's like away you go. And yeah. that is very overwhelming. And as you said, can you catch up on sleep? No. And the reality <laughs> is that sleep becomes a very precious commodity once you've had a baby. You do tend to fight over it. Well, in my memory, I remember sort of just trying to outdo my partner that I'd had less sleep than her. Desperate <laughs> to get sleep. Yes. Well, we all like a bit of sleep. But it's exciting, terrifying, but quite a special time. Do you remember that time, well, Joe? I do, but nothing can mentally prepare you. I mean, what would you do if you had one bit of advice to a new parent to prepare. Prepare is an odd word. Mm. Well, I mean, the thing is you can't prepare because you can only be in the moment with, with your baby. And really, that's what I'm a massive advocate for is meeting your baby where they are 
at every stage of their development. So one of the biggest limitations that I see is expectations that are put onto babies. So if you imagine like a baby comes into the world, brand new soul, has, you know, is 100% love, open to receive. And as soon as they're born, it's like, okay, how much do they weigh? How much do they sleep? How much do they eat? You know, we, we start immediately measuring up humans from the moment they rock up into the world and we start judging them, judgment from the beginning. And so the biggest bit of advice I'd give to a parent is, you know, just be with your baby, just witness your baby, you know, love your baby exactly as they are. You know, where are we going? Where are we in a rush to get to? Wow. Well, we'll talk more, Gail, about when you actually get there then to the birth. But before we do that, here's the White Stripes, and we're going to be friends. Fall is here, hear the yell, back to school, ring the bell, brand new shoes, walk in blues, climb the fence, books and pens, I can tell that we are going to be friends. As I peered into the newborn baby unit where my tiny son was being fed by my wife, a nurse told me, You have a cute baby. I smiled and said, I bet you say that to all the new fathers. No, she replied, just to those whose babies really are good looking. So I asked, what do you say to the others then? The nurse replied, the baby looks just like you. And she threw her head back and laughed. I instantly felt awkward. Had she made a joke? I hadn't laughed. I felt under pressure. So she said that my baby son was cute. But she doesn't say it to every father. Okay, fair enough. So my baby's cute. That's good then. So what's the rest of it? She says that they look just like the father if they're not cute. Right, I see. So how does it work? The baby is cute, but that means the father isn't. Ugly baby equals ugly father. Oh, I see. That's the joke. I'd got it. So I laughed. When I wake tomorrow, I'll bet that you and I will walk together again. I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Yes, I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Box 39. What's in it then? You are listening to Box 39, magazine of music, community, humour and chat, live from Studio One at Colne Radio Towers, with me, Joe Coldwell, my radio best friend, Bill Lawrence, in the studio, Adrian Cohen, with our music, and our studio guest and baby expert, Gail Berry, my friend, who lives what she speaks. We are talking about babies, the very young offspring of humans. We've all been them. But few of us can remember it. Being one, that's weird, yeah, isn't it? it is. It is. And it is impossible, isn't it, to, to really understand. How's your life going to change once the baby's born? Um, now, what was life like for you, Joe, before children? I mean, what was the big change, perhaps, that you noticed once you'd had children? Well, my m- parents gave me one bit of advice, and that was let your children fit in with you, not the other way around. And I do think that was really good advice. I was also one of the first of my group of friends to have children. And I kind of felt a bit obliged to them to show that it was all right. <laughs> so I did kind of carry on, but I had a lot of support and that makes a huge difference. Yeah, it does. And Gail, what are the obvious changes would you say that happen to people once they've had babies? Well, 
I mean, it's so it's so different for everybody. Uh, my own personal experience, I, I had three children under three and a half. So I was pregnant every year for five years, wow. which, which was uh, mad, really. Um, but also gave me the opportunity to be entirely surrendered to parenting because I literally couldn't do anything else. Um, so I was in a very fortunate position that I gave up working to be with my children, changed me and my husband at the time, completely changed our lifestyle. So it did mean you know, downsizing, changing, changing, not having a car, not having holidays, things like that. But it gave me complete freedom to be present with my children. And, I, and I'm very grateful for that. Do you think there's an unexpected change? I mean, we, we can all work out that, you know, you, I guess the obvious changes, but is there things that really you weren't expecting? Um, for me, I had, which is part of the reason why I started my business, motherhood was the most incredibly empowering experience of my life. I mean, I was literally activated by my daughter. Before I had my daughter, I was a project finance lawyer in the city, extremely miserable and disconnected from myself and everyone else around me. And uh, the very first baby I ever held in my life was my own daughter and so I was completely clueless uh, and completely shocked I'd just given birth to a human and, and that was it hold, holding her in my arms but when I looked into her beautiful eyes and felt her skin against my skin I, I just fell in love um, and I wasn't expecting that actually you know having having never had a maternal interest so you know it was pretty incredible yeah, and Joe, um, you know, what did you do to prepare for, <laughs> prepare for it? I'll tell you what I didn't do, and that was change a nappy for the first five days. I, just, I was in hospital, yeah. and I had a lot of help with a caesarean, and I remember every time I had a visitor saying, could you change the nappy? Would you like to? And my sister rumbled me and went, you haven't done it, have you? No, no. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I read a lot of books. I, I, mean, was, I was very concerned about the nappy thing. I do remember at the parent parenting class beforehand that was my question how do you change a nappy very practical good for you for asking though <laughs> I remember my dad didn't do it because he said he didn't really like the smell of it <laughs> okay dad <laughs> yeah there's a downside to nappies I must say so you've got these amazing physical and amazing mental changes that go on the baby's born but surely it's a very positive experience well not for everybody and I'm sure Gail can talk about the biology of that yeah, I mean, as I said, I, I was sharing my own personal experience, which is extremely positive. But, you know, one in five uh, women identifies having postnatal depression. Um, and that that's just, you know, a, a diagnosis. Many, many people struggle with anxiety because of the huge adjustment from, uh, you know, as I said, very little preparation from being on your set by yourself to suddenly caring for another human being. Um, you know, we, we turn up on day one one in a job and there's no training there's yeah. no supervision uh, there's no manual it's like there you go so you know I, I, I work with a lot of uh, women and men as well men also suffer from postnatal depression um, that do struggle and it's groups like the ones that you know I hold it with Blossom and Berry that really help to give that support well, excellent. And so we'll talk about the first few months of having a baby after one of Colm Radio's best friends, and that's Sade. We were waiting for the bus No one much around but us say that when an as-yet childless couple encounters a couple with a newborn baby in a pushchair, the woman is fascinated with the baby and wants to pet it. Meanwhile, when the man sees the couple, 
brand new parents and all, he feels a distinct ambivalence about the baby. It's just somebody else's baby after all. Then things change when our husband and wife finally have a baby. Now, when they encounter a couple with a newborn baby in a pushchair, the woman feels ambivalent about the stranger's baby, while the man is fascinated by it. At least I think that's what they say. Maybe it's the other way round. Ambivalence, fascination, the man, the woman, the stranger's baby in the pushchair, the couple. I can't remember. But either way, it's an interesting concept. But I don't think any of that. When I encounter a couple with a newborn baby in a pushchair, the only thing I'm thinking is, I wonder what's the story with their sex life? For you, child, you is the best he can be. For you, child, For you. Indeed, that was Sade. So this is uh, Box 39 and we're talking about babies and I'm here with my co-presenter, Joe Coldwell, and we're also here with Gail Berry and we're talking, as you say, about babies. So we've got to the birth, we got over the birth and we're into the first year. So what are those important changes to that baby that we need to be aware of? Well, actually, can I just go a bit further back? Uh, Because what we do know is that the most critical window for babies is actually uh, the first 1,001 days of life, which starts at conception, and it goes to two. Now... A lot of people, and there's a lot of literature about, you know, 0 to 3 or 0 to 7, but actually the first 1,001 days is the time where the social and emotional brain is developing. And so what happens during this time shapes babies' emotional blueprint for the rest of their lives. And that blueprint then actually reflects in the relationships that we create not only with our parents but with friends and also we take that uh, brain shaping that attachment style into adult relationships as well so a lot of things that people may struggle with later on in life come from the very early experiences they had as a baby in the first 1001 days now if everybody knew that I think that we would treat babies very differently because we're pro we're programming uh, the software which is the brain in the baby, um, you know, and then that, and then that is that software ca- carries around in the hardware, <laughs> which we, fo- we you know we focus a lot on that for the rest of our lives, and um, the undoing of the uh, software can take years and years and years. So, yeah, what were your children like as little, tiny little? one-year-old, naught-to-one-year-old, Joe. Well, there is an expression that's used a lot with babies, and I've used it myself, but I correct myself. My babies were good. Yeah. What does that mean? Babies aren't good or bad. Oh, do you have a good baby? Yeah. It's, it's a horrible thing to say. Yeah. And, and as I say, I have said it, so no judgment. But they're not good or bad. They're just kind of reflecting what we're giving them. Um, and Gail has always spoken about this 1,000 days. And today, or around about now, October 2022, the University of North Carolina have um, come out to say, researchers detect early deprivation continues to affect brain development well into adolescence, which is what Gail has been yeah. saying and reading and learning and speaking and sharing for so long. I mean, it is becoming more and more obvious, yeah. yet still, as society, we are not really looking at these little people. We're yeah. always looking at how to sort the problems later on. Yeah, oh. there's loads and loads of geeky science on this. I mean, I won't, I won't go <laughs> on about it on the show today, but, um, you know, the, the new way of actually looking at the um, wealth of societies is actually on human potential. Even the World Bank now looks at human potential. And that comes from the first 1,001 days of life. And, you know, now, um, you know, UNICEF and, um, you know, the World Health Organization are now investing in the first 1,001 days of life. And, you you know, one of the things I say at Blossom and Berry is we've got 1,001 days to save the world. And I absolutely mean it because uh, what we're putting in at the beginning is what we end up with at the end. And I think a lot of people just are just not aware of the science. So that's my, that's my mission. I'm very passionate about that. Well, let's go now all the way back a long way when none of these things were really thought about. Let's go back to the 1950s. <laughs> 
hesitate to have a baby, then no trouble at all. Luxury for every guest is the rule at the newly opened Infants Hotel in Hamburg, run by a doctor for mothers at work, mothers at the bridge club, or just mothers who want to go shopping. And it's so very clean and hygienic, there's a danger that when baby goes home, he'll say, here, what's all this mess? As the hotel is doctor control, there's no extra charge for a routine checkup. The sun lamps ensure that healthy glow all over, usually seen only on summertime babies. In fact, there's so much, the infants will get the idea they're very important young people. Meals are served on the dock. They never have to howl for it. So, let's put out the lights and go to sleep. Well, that is an alternative view, and while that was going on, uh, you were nodding very wisely about that, uh, uh, Gail. You were nodding. I, I was actually exploding <laughs> <laughs> uh, because, as 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 I was hearing those words, I was thinking, going, no, 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 and I mean. Yeah, this kind of vibe comes from the misunderstanding that babies are, uh, you know, human beings. They are not different to us. Uh, you know, we, 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 the way that we respond to babies is very different to how we respond to adults. For example, you wouldn't leave an adult crying and screaming in a room. Simply, it just wouldn't happen. Uh, you would at least go in and ask the, ask the adult, are you okay? Do you need something? And yet, you know, there's a whole wealth of literature that says when the baby cries you want to teach it to, to soothe itself and to calm it and uh, calm down and sleep and just shut the door and, and go away now for me that's literally inhumane you know you if you wouldn't do if you wouldn't you wouldn't even do it to an, an animal uh, so you know hearing that I was sort of going ah <laughs> well is it a wonder that anyone survived then in those days I mean how long would you say, or you know, sort of current thinking? Is it does it evolve all the time, or are we on a plateau of thinking that has, you know, been thought of in the last five years that we now think that's right, or are we? Well, this again, I could get very geeky about this. Up until 1985 in America, babies were still having um, surgical procedures um, done to them without anaesthetic because it was believed that babies could not feel pain. That is in 1985. That's what you know. Whilst I've been alive and. And in about 1940, babies were having open heart surgery without anaesthetic because uh, it was believed that the parts of their brain that perceived pain were not developed because they were babies. Now, obviously, the level of trauma that those babies would have experienced is just, you can't even comprehend it. So, you know, 1985 is still too recent for me. Um, But I would say now, you know things are changing there's a lot more awareness of mental health and um you know mental health is infant mental health everybody's mental health is infant mental health because as you said at the beginning of the show we were all babies once so you know this is why we need to be looking at the first 1001 days of life it is the crucial time yeah, and uh, 1985, Joe, was Live Aid. That was last century, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I was just not thinking... Not that long ago. No, not that long. It depends how old you are. Um, I'm just kind of picking up on what Gail said there about we were all babies once. Can we all think of somebody as a baby really weird, like Reese Mogg? I mean, can you imagine him? No, I can't imagine him as a baby. Sorry, I just diverted off there. Um, 1985, yeah, bad things were happening still. But the the question is, have we got it right now? You are absolutely convinced, aren't you, Gail? I, I am, absolutely. I mean, you know, we have to invest in children. They are the future of our society. And, you know, this is the thing that keeps me up at night is that, you know, it's literally whilst we've been on this show, how many babies in the world have been born? And we now know that from the science of epigenetics that it is 90% uh, nurture and 10% nature. So if you have two identical babies genetically, put them into different environments, one is nurturing, one potentially is a toxic environment, the way that that baby's genes express in terms of even like their height, their bone density, their skin, um, you know, long-term conditions develop, 
as a result of what happens in that critical window, uh, whether they receive, you know, nurture. So it's all about nurturing care and baby massage and baby yoga fits within that. But the World Health Organization now have got a massive campaign rolled out across the globe. It's called the Nurturing Care Framework and it's backed by science and research. So Again, not that known by parents because there's so much of a focus on mums and papas wallpaper and which pram are you going to get and you know all the all the things that, that the things you know that we think babies need and not much education on on that you know um, and again it's science it's not me being woo I have been known to be called a hippie but that you know this is all based on science so okay well let's now hear from someone I can think of I think he would. Been just a great baby, and this is David Bowie. Will you stay in a lover's story? If you stay, you won't be sorry, cause we believe in you. Soon you'll grow, so take a chance with a couple of cooks. Hung up on romancing Will you stay in a lover's story? If you stay, you won't be sorry Cause we believe in you Soon you'll grow So take a chance with a couple of cooks Hung up on romancing I have to admit my wife and I were competitive about our baby I don't mean between my wife and me. I nobly conceded defeat in the competition to do the most work related to the baby. My wife did nearly everything and I took that loss on the chin. No, the real competition was with siblings who'd had babies at around the same time. All the milestones, the new skills, the stages, the incremental delights, who'd won, who'd done it first. But we were worried though about how long it was taking our baby to say his first words. We started to get really worried. He was already five years old and he hadn't uttered a single word. Our siblings shook their heads and we were embarrassed. Then one day, five years and two months of age, our son was eating some homemade ravioli and he suddenly said, F*** me, this f ravioli is f disgusting. We were all shocked. All this time, darling, why didn't you tell us you could talk? Well, he said, up till now the food's been all right. If you stay, you won't be sorry, because we believe in you. Soon you'll grow, so take a chance with a couple of cooks. I'm up and romancing. This is Box 39 with a show all about babies with Bill Lawrence, Adrian Cohen and Joe Coldwell and special guest Gail Berry. You are listening to Box 39, magazine of music, community, humour and chat, live from Studio One at Cone Radio Towers, 106.6 FM. Cone Radio with me, Joe Coldwell, Bill Lawrence, my radio best friend, and... Adrian Cohen with our music, but our studio guest is baby expert Gail Berry, and we are talking about babies, the very young offspring, those little tiny, teeny, tiny humans. Yeah, it's very interesting what you were saying there, and I know uh, you want to pick up a little bit on that, don't you, Joe? about the nature-nurture thing. I do, because I have parented, and I would say this to all parents, the nature-nurture thing is fascinating. You could give birth and just walk off. If we really thought it was nurture, give birth, walk off. I mean, maybe do a bit, but Gail is telling us 90% is nurture. So as a parent, that means that all the work you put in, that effort, 
has impact and it is worth it. So thank you for saying that, Gail. It makes, makes me feel better as a parent. There is something I want to say, though, about that, about the nurture thing, because often then people then go into, like, shaming themselves because they think, oh, you know, I should have done this and I should have done that. And, you know, oh, gosh, you know, if I hadn't given that organic, if I didn't do that organic baby food, now my, my baby's doomed for life. And, and what I say is you are where you are. If you're a parent and you're listening to this now, you are where you are and you've always done the best that you could with the knowledge that you had at the time. And also you were giving your baby what your baby needed to the best of your ability. And, you know, that's the relationship you have with your baby. However, if you are now listening to this and you are now aware that it is nurture and also that that also involves any kind of relationship that you have with older children, teenage children, your partner, if you have one, um, you know, it's literally the analogy is if you put a seed into the ground um, and then you just walk away, yes, it will start to grow. But if you are watering that seed, if you are fertilizing that soil, if you are providing the scaffolding for that seed, that sapling to grow, it will go grow strong from the roots and it will bear fruit. And it's exactly the same with parenting as well. So, you know, we are nature. Uh, we're not apart from nature. So you only have to go outside and, and look at nature to understand, you know, our role as guardians of, of children is the same with nature as well. So Yeah, but it's it's tough being a parent, isn't it? I mean, I found it really tough because the hard bit was, am I doing it right? Am I doing it wrong? And that was the bit that I used to find uh, quite a lot of pressure, really. Um, certain childbirth groups or postnatal childbirth groups that I went to, I used to always think that I was doing it wrong as a result of seeing them doing it right. Mm. Well, there is a lot of shaming um, around parenting because I think it's the only time in your life where you suddenly have to be vanilla. So there's no other time where you, you go into a place and someone expects you to, to be doing something the same as everybody else, you know. I mean, apart from maybe at school. Um, so when you have a baby, there, there's this, this idea, like you said, you know, you said, I'm, I'm not getting it right. Well, what is right? You know, there is no right. It's only what you're meeting in the moment with your baby and uh, there will be times as a parent that you will struggle um, and there's a beautiful concept that I'd love to share called rupture and repair which is the idea that if you do uh, have an emotional reaction to your baby uh, particularly toddlers you know I remember trying to get my toddler's shoes on to get them in the car to take them somewhere and having a minor meltdown in the process it's okay to show those emotions to have those emotions to feel those emotions and it's okay even if your children see you having those emotions you don't have to hide them from your children because we are emotional beings but then it's so important to after the rupture to have the repair so then you just go back to that child whatever they age, age they are even if you have teenage children and you say do you know what I felt like this and what you saw was my emotions you know being here and um, you know this is really normal and, I, and I'm, I'm sorry if I, if I upset you in some way shall we talk about it or if it's younger children you can just hold them and communicate to them that they're safe yeah. with, with, with your presence so rupture and repair is a great one for again this is not just babies and children this is all relationships rupture and repair it's a good one and what is normal well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a bit, uh, sort of like a serious point there. What is normal? Because, uh, it, you know, we just said, well, that's a normal way of doing it. That's normal. And uh, again, with that, it's a lot of guilt and uh, feeling shamed because your normal might be different from someone else's normal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's what works for you and what works for your baby, isn't it? Absolutely. It's, it's, it's for, you know, free, freedom is when you are fully expressed. And, you know, in parenting, there's there's lots of stereotypes. You know, you're, you're the hippie mum or the attachment parent or the co-sleeping parent or the breastfeeding parent. Or you're, you know, you've gone back to work and, you know, you don't care about your children or you have uh, sleep training, all of these things. You know, in my opinion, there is science that supports certain kinds of parenting over another. However... Everyone has the right to be fully expressed. You know, we can only be the version of parents that we are as ourselves. And it's crazy to, um, you know, think that we can put, we can expect parents to all be uh, systematically parenting all children in the same way. Um, and what a boring world that would be anyway. Yeah. It's also important not to say, 
my child always or I never because the minute you say you're oh my child always does this you know they're going to absolutely in public do the opposite and good for them they're expressing themselves as you say well let's hear now we got a little excerpt from one of the longest reign, uh, longest running television documentaries that hard hitting documentary EastEnders <laughs> Is this some sort of joke? It's no joke. So what you on about then? You know what I'm on about. I don't know how you can live with yourself watching what's happened to Michelle. Look, I feel sorry for Michelle. She's been through a lot. Yes, and so you should, because you're the one who's put her through it. What's she got to do with me? Do you want me to tell you? You're Vicky's dad, ain't you? Yeah. Are you happy? Till I see you out of Walford. With your loving, there ain't nothing that I can't adore. The way I'm running with you, honey, means we can break every law. I find it funny that you're the only one I never looked for. There is something in your loving that tears down my walls. I wasn't ready then, I'm ready now. I'm heading straight for you. You will only be eternally the one that I belong to. They say overstimulation looks a little different in every child, but there are some common signs you might notice in a baby. Crying, usually louder than usual, withdrawing from your touch or turning their head away from you, wanting to be held, being very fussy or irritable, clenching their fists or waving their arms and legs, having temper tantrums, moving in a frantic or jerky way, acting very tired, sucking on hands or fists. One must read these signs and then there are 64 ways to soothe the overstimulated baby. This is the orthodox analysis. But I see it differently, though my wife doesn't agree. I say, stand your ground. It's just a battle of wills and an everyday part of the human condition. Resist, reject, dig your heels in. If you don't, they'll grow up not as interested in teamwork as our generation. They won't have as strong a work ethic and they will be impatient when it comes to career growth. 49% will quit before two years in a new job if things don't go their way. Stand your ground. Babies are our grown-ups of the future. Hello. We're back. We're back on Box 39. And uh, you were just listening there to Adele and Sweet Devotion. Now, this is uh, Box 39. And uh, you're listening to myself, Bill Lawrence. And I'm with Joe Coldwell. And we're also here with our expert on all things with babies, Gail, Gail Berry, who's uh, been telling us all about the latest uh, sort of thinking about um, uh, about babies and their development. And we really want to look at some other trends, really. Uh, so we've got some statistics, haven't we, Joe? And I'm going to start with the first one, that infant mortality has fallen. Now, infant mortality means, uh, mortality is obviously uh, deaths of infants, has fallen from nine to about three per thousand live births in the last three decades. So in the last 30 years, the number of infant mortality is only a third of what it was. Why would that be, Joe? 
Well, you would expect and hope for that. I, I would actually have hoped it to be more, um, given general improvements in healthcare and more specific improvements in midwifery. Although as the science and the medicine improves in midwifery, funding goes down. And uh, our gap between rich and poor, unfortunately, yeah. I think has probably extended a little bit. Um, I got another statistic there for me, Jai. In 2014, almost half of all babies were born outside of marriage. Ooh, back to EastEnders. Um, compared with 42% in 2004 and only 8.8% in the very proper 1970s. Right. So what we're seeing is a sort of long-term rise in the number of births outside marriage, or civil partnership. I guess consistent with people cohabiting much more now, uh, which they didn't do before, rather than entering into the old-fashioned marriage or civil partnership. My nan, my nan wouldn't come to my house when I was cohabiting with uh, with someone, and she said, and she used a phrase like, "We were living." Over the brush or under the brush? I can't remember which we were over or under the brush. Fun sounds more fun. (laughs) Yeah, and she wouldn't wouldn't come and see us. Now, average age of mums. Average age of mums. uh, 31 years now. And that's increased by six years since since the 1970s. So Yes, uh, but the average age of fathers has increased to 34. So does that mean that, um, ah, damn, we've still got older husbands then? Yeah, maybe. Do you know why, Gail, the, the people are having babies later in life? I think just women's careers, really. I mean, yeah. you know, back in the 70s, the, the, the career prospects for women were much more limited. And, and now, you know, women can defer doing that because they they choose choose their, uh, their own career and, and work as well. Yeah. Um, more participation in education. I mean, lots of reasons. Increasing importance of career, as Gail says. The rising cost of child rearing is really difficult for people. It's a a real problem. But the thing that has increased, and I think we have to speak about it, is, certainly since we were parenting, is um, social media. Right. And I am keen to hear how... Well, Gail, you're our expert, but is it helping people find a community, finding support, finding information, or is it really adding to the stress of young people having a baby for the first time? I think that it depends on how you use social media. So social media can be, as you say, very connecting. Uh, You can find, you know, pretty much every kind of person parenting in in all the different ways as we we spoke about it's not a vanilla experience Um, but there are also some pressures that arise from social media particularly on how women look after they've had a baby Um, you know how quickly they in inverted commas bounce back Um, also you know there's a real polarisation of um, some versions of motherhood which you know as I said can be quite uh sort of attachment based very sort of natural style parenting and then there's the whole sort of like gin o'clock kind of mum sort of story as well where you know it's sort of like parenting is something that you have to endure and you're waiting to have your glass of wine at the end of the day now again neither of those are right or wrong they are just different manifestations of people's lifestyles and I think the biggest problem with social media is it allows us to slip very very deeply into judgment you know just as we were talking about judging babies at the beginning there's a lot of judgment around parenting as well and I think social media if you don't just see it as the kind of game show that it is um, can you know really put pressure on your mental health especially when you've just had a baby well Thank you. Uh, we'll be coming to our next piece of music. And this is from the man who used to run the uh, Wivenhoe Co-op, Johnny Cash. Cry. 
Right, it's time to have a rummage in the Musicology's mailbag for baby jokes. Here's one from Mark Taylor from Mark's Tay. It says, a woman in labour suddenly shouted, shouldn't, wouldn't, couldn't, didn't, can't. Doctor, what's going on? asked the concerned father-to-be. Don't worry, said the doctor. Those are just contractions. Okay. Uh, This one is from Hayley Howarth from Hadley Heath. I read a book on prime numbers to my baby son, and I had his undivided attention. Hmm. Sorry. This one is from Graham Broom from Great Bromley. We took our baby to the hospital after he ate a set of Scrabble tiles. We've been waiting and waiting. No word yet. Yeah, that's good. I like that. This is from Bridget Lindsay from Brightlingsea. A new mother says, Why is there a strange baby in the crib? Father says, You told me to change the baby. Okay. Uh, And then finally, this one is from Mango Dread in Shrub End. Feeding time for the twins. My wife asks, Have you seen the baby's bowl? I say, I didn't know they did. (laughs) Please don't take my sunshine away. Well, yes, we are in the box. And we've been in the box, myself and Joe and Guy, we've been in the box all the whole show. And we're coming to the end of the box. And we've got your listeners' uh, letters you've sent to us, your texts, and uh, they're ever so wonderful. And we're going to start with one here from Pauline Bush from West Stanway. And Pauline says, I've been interested in human gene editing and the possibility of engineering designer babies since I was a young farmer and part-time prison officer in South Africa in the 1980s. And uh, she seems genetically modified babies seems a logical way to ensure uh, winning very long and difficult cycle races. It would mean more beautiful babies and therefore more attractive mating partners. I don't think Pauline's got the right idea, do you? I think Pauline should stick to genetically modified bananas. Absolutely. Well, there's some advice for you, Pauline. I hope you get on well with those. We've got another text from Gordon from West Mersey. And Gordon says, uh, My friend Mindy told me the last year the Chinese government announced that parents in China would now be permitted to have up to three children. And this announcement came only five years, says Mindy, after the stunning reversal of the 1981 child policy. What is going on, says Gordon? Surely there are enough people on the planet already, says Gordon. Yesterday, he says, I was in the co-op on Barfield Road in West Mersey and it was packed so much that I popped across the road to the dog and sausage for a pint until the supermarket was less crowded. Mindy also told me that for a country to naturally replace its population, uh, its birth needs to be more than at least 2.1. I think the clue's in the name. Anybody who mentions the name... Mindy surely thinks of Mork and Mindy. Uh, Depends how old our readers are, obviously, but I'm thinking Mork and Mindy are of another planet. I think Gordon might be. Well, he's from West Mersey. But (laughs) then. I'm only joking. Now, we've got one from Ron and Reggie, uh, good friends of the show, Ron and Reggie from Brightlingsea, and they say, we are identical twins. Our mum could never remember who was who. I think that's probably quite common, isn't it? After a while, she said, uh, they said she re- realised that no one else could tell us apart either. Imagine the larks that she had with the childminders, nursery teachers, and the workers of the Department of Social Security as she learned that she could extort quite significant sums of money from those people by confusing our identities and bewildering them and she says uh, Ron and Reggie say that was our mum God bless her a wonderful mother who never forgot that we were her babies visiting us every week at the scrubs right up to the day she ran off to Cyprus with big Cyril from St Osith Oh, I thought he was from the blind beggar, but hey, St. Osith it is. Well, what a trick. What a, what a, I mean, I guess you could have some, some larks, couldn't you, with identical twins? Or yeah. is that just in, in fiction and films? I, I went out with a twin once. Yeah. I, I, there's all kinds of weird emotions between twins. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, we've got one last one from Stephen O'Shins from Sudbury. Uh, Stephen says, are the bounty packs with their selection of useful baby products still available for new mums on the maternity ward? Um, he's, yes, they are. Are they? Mm-hmm. Well, he's good because he says that he used to put them uh, in the weekly meat raffle at his local <laughs> for just a 10% fee from the raffle proceeds. 
I really didn't like them. I found it really commercial and horrible at that very early stage. Yeah. I, I didn't like it. I'm sorry. Oh, well. Well, sorry about that, Stephen, but thank you ever so much for writing in, and good luck to you there with the meat raffle in Sunbury. Okay, so... Uh, Babies, well, babies' cuteness, it's a powerful force, isn't it, For the to be reckoned with, really. It melts adult hearts, doesn't it? It ensures babies a steady source of food and protection until they mature to an age when they're slightly less vulnerable. What is it about babies that makes them so cute? Well, isn't there some theory that they look like the father... All, all babies look like the father, so that the father does not run off. The mother knows they gave birth. The father, not so sure. I mean, referring back to EastEnders. Yeah. Um, and genetically, they look like the father for the first few months. Is that true, Gail? Yeah, it, def- it definitely is. The, the, um, there's been loads of studies done on that for that exact reason, so that the father knows that he is the father and doesn't abandon the mother and the baby. So, yeah. Goodness me. Well, I thought it was just their big eyes. Their rosy red cheeks, uh, their tiny little chins. Rosy red cheeks are usually teething. Uh, don't don't think that's a nice thing. That's usually um, teething, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, we've just got one last uh, email come in, one last text come in, and uh, this is from Donna in Norwich. And Donna says that she's really enjoyed the show this week. And uh, she says as soon as it's finished, she's popping up to the old people's home near where she lives, where she does a little bit of voluntary work in the evenings. And she says usually she makes some of the old boys there a few sandwiches for their supper. And she says their favourite treat is cheese with homemade chutney. But if it's late, they never object when she quickly palms them off with relish. So thank you, Donna. I thought you were going to say Donna was uh, off to procreate (laughs) after hearing about babies. (laughs) I don't think so. Anyway, it's been wonderful uh, to have you here, Joe, working with us again. And Gail, thank you very much for coming in. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you're able to find your way down in the lift down uh, from the fourth floor. And uh, don't forget to drop in on the bar on before you leave. So thank you for... That's Gail Berry, founder of Blossom and Berry, a parent and baby wellness business that encompasses a global collective of over 2,000 teachers and, of course, our co-presenter, uh, Joe Colwell. And you'll always find her either in a, in a, in a yoga environment or at the Red Lion Bookshop in Colchester High Street. So thank you, Joe. Thank you. And thank you, Bill, as ever. It's been a delight, hasn't it? So, Joe, do you want to uh, send us out of the show before you go? Absolutely. Um, so we've done our thank yous um, and as we always end up here high in Studio One on the fourth floor of Colne Radio Towers looking out over the full and fertile lands of North East Essex it's time for us to close Box 39 once more be seeing you be seeing you
Block 39 is a guppy production for Cone Radio and is committed to a varied, equitable and truly inclusive output that properly reflects the ethnic diversity of our community audience. 